Hello there, and welcome back to the Behind the Business podcast with me, Danny Champion, my music business podcast where I talk to an assortment of different people in and around the music business about the music business. Uh, about their motivations, what they do, why they do it, and everything else in between. Uh, This is episode 19 of season one. That's right, I'm being uber positive, and I'm going to suggest that there's going to be more than one season of this. And it is with Paul Carter, a.k.a. Ben Brick. Ben Brick is a multi-platinum selling and award-winning songwriter who currently produces and composes all the music for George the Poet's podcast. Paul's a big tech fan, something that we spoke about for this podcast um, when it comes to emerging tech like blockchain and the like, as well as creating his own apps. Again, something else that we talk about in this podcast. As mentioned, he's a songwriter who self-releases his own stuff as well as releases and co-writes with other people that culminated in a project for the movie Evangelion. I met Paul, a.k.a. Ben Brick, last year in his studio in Tile Yard in North London. And what sets this conversation apart from all the other ones, or the, the previous 19, is this was actually the first time that myself and Paul had ever met. Uh, So it was a really interesting chat uh, with someone who I had been introduced to through through a friend, actually another podcast interviewee, Gary Downing, uh, had put put us in touch with one another. And it was a great and interesting chat about all things music, all things songwriting. I'm going to shut up now and I'll be back at the end with a few links to the various things that Paul is up to, as well as some of my own links. So without further ado, here is a conversation with myself and songwriter Ben Brick. This this studio, I've been here for about uh, six years, I think now. Okay. And... I was doing some work at another studio in Acton and they said, oh, we're building this place in King's Cross. You should you should come along. And I quite like the place in Acton anyway. Um, but I came down to look and I thought, yeah, it's cool. And the owner of this place came to me and said, well, we're going to build you a room. So um, it's nice of it. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so so work out like, you know, how you're going to pay for it and uh, and move in. And so then I was like, okay, maybe I should. And then, like, the, the, the place has just grown like crazy. I mean, first of all, um, the studio opposite me, Wayne Hector, was in. Yep. And back six years ago, I was just like, shit, that is so cool. That's like, like this guy wrote everything. Mm-hmm. Flying Without Wings for Westlife is a particular classic. Well, I, when I was at Peer Music, Peer Music were working with Steve Mack. Right, exactly. So I, I, got, the, I got the pleasure of, of working with... Some yeah. of those, some of those fun tunes that they wrote together. Exactly. So when I heard he was here, I was like, "That was really the sealer for me." I okay. was like, "That is cool," and um, yeah, it's just led to a lot of opportunities being here, meeting different people, and is now there a good community. It's a great community around here, but still, like, you still have to bring your own thing, mm-hmm. even if like now it's expanded to the point where Beats One are here and Charlie Sloth and uh, and Mark Ronson, but like they're not going to do anything for your career. You have to do it all yourself. So yeah, 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 it's cool. And like people have heard about this place all over the world, but like you still have to bring your like yeah, yeah, totally. bring your game. Why the music industry? Mm. Why songwriting? Um I was studying uh for my A levels like 10 years ago or however long ago. Mm-hmm. More than that, Jesus. Um and I was going to I was going to do physics and I went to this uni um and I looked around the physics um like set up there mm-hmm. and I was just like wow this looks so boring I mean I'm sure it's <laughs> fascinating and and like 
yeah, I'm always listening to physics podcasts. But I just thought, nah, that's not really what I want to do. So okay, I applied for this one uni in Surrey, and were you um, dabbling at this? Yeah, point I was making music, were... and I played piano since I was like four. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was writing and producing little songs, you know, but not nothing serious. But I went uh, anyway. I took this degree, and the best thing about it was that there were fifteen rooms with pianos in that you could be in 24 hours a day if you mm-hmm. had the key card. So I just spent the whole time at uni either going out with friends, obviously, or spending my time locked in these rooms just like writing on the piano, mm-hmm. and, uh, learning, you know. And how, from, how big was the catalogue by the time you left university? The, I mean, it was... The tracks that you were happy with. Because oh, I know, you know, from a songwriter's perspective... Do you mean happy you know, with, like... <laughs> then or then now. Then or now, because now, probably zero. <laughs> but it's like, you collect so many voice notes, and I am tempted to just go back through all of them and see if there's anything of value. Mm-hmm. But uh, but those those hours and hours that you spent in, yeah. in a room with a piano writing tracks, mm. you know, what would you say that you you left with in a tangible notes like, other than the degree yeah like the practice of doing it and the 10,000 hours or yeah. however many hours it was that I put into it and and just learning and realising it was what I wanted to do mm-hmm. after uni and I put songs on MySpace then and after uni I got up MySpace yeah bring that back <laughs> I mean who's doing that now definitely not SoundCloud <laughs> I had stuff on MySpace and this guy, Gary Go, who was signed to Universal at the time, contacted me out mm-hmm. the blue, MySpace message. And he was like, oh, I've heard you'd be a good programmer. Like, why don't you come down to the studio and meet? And I listened to his songs and he had this so-so and like a couple of other his songs from that record. And they were so good. The production right. was so good. With like amazing musicians. And I'm just thinking, what am I going to do and he here? Just- Found you randomly. The, yeah, yeah. He this MySpace. that's what he does. He just searches people out. And like, okay. Um, so I went down there and programmed some stuff, and he was like, "Cool, man. Like, come in tomorrow and program." So I went in the next day, and he was like, "Okay, do you want a job?" So I worked with him for like two years. Did like he toured with Take That and mm-hmm. this time, and you know, we it was just a great. That was the real insight. Like uni was cool, but this was like day like day one having like the people from the sugar hill gang musicians from the sugar hill gang playing on records and and you know davide who did the strings for viva la vida coldplay like playing on records that i was doing programming on yeah yeah, yeah. it was wild yeah it was a real like thrown straight into it and when you say doing programming on you mean contributing to the songs contributing to the songwriting yeah i mean sometimes there was songwriting but it was more like programming and taking his ideas and, and songs that he'd written and you know embellishing and um adding production okay so it's, it's more kind of engineering and producing yeah than kind of i guess there was co, there, co-songwriting you yeah were, you there were songs that we your... wrote together okay. and and on his and, and we've remained like friends mm-hmm. so on his new record i have a couple of songs and yeah and that was just totally from just a random message via MySpace. yeah does that ever happen anymore? Do you just get random oh, well, messages like, on Facebook? I randomly message, as part of the tech conversation, I randomly message everyone. Okay. Like, so now you're in his position, you're paying it forward. I'm messaging, but not just like people, like any, we'll get onto this with yeah, the tech yeah, yeah. thing, but like, you know, I'll just message directors or music supervisors or mm-hmm. bloggers or, you know, it's fun. Do you think it's, uh, are there a lot of people that kind of, I don't interact th- with the business, the creative industries like yourself. I just or is it getting a little bit weird and disparate, even though it's so easy to get in touch. I think it's so easy to get in touch with people, and like to explain to people listening, this studio complex I'm at, we're at here, is like eighty studios, and everyone's making music, and like the general consensus I think is write a song a day. Mm-hmm get your catalogue and, and and get as many songs as you can and like I just thought after a point of writing you realise you have so many songs and it's like really rare that one gets used like the, the moments where it gets used um, 
yeah it's not not every song gets used i mean like it's a low percentage i'd say mm-hmm. i thought there must be a better way to do this there must be a better way to spend my time <laughs> which is when i started investigating hiring someone in chile a guy called eloy off right. of this website called elance which is now called upwork where you can just pay people to do things so i got this guy to research um like at that i think the first one was bloggers right because I'd, I'd made a piece of music and i was like rather than make another one how can i put this out mm-hmm. so i got him to create this list of all the bloggers um and then i created um this piece of software where i could send people bespoke emails with bespoke pieces of music like the tracked whether they opened it and listened to it um but yet it would look like it was unique to them so right. it was like a mail merge, but like that I owned and I could really customize. Okay. Um, so I spent like ages doing that, you know, and I'd have like, like these, um, you know, you get like music, uh, music week mm-hmm. lists of all the people working with different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember at one point I'd printed out like just hundreds of pages of that. And I was like, okay. So then I was like, the, the, there's actually names here without even getting Eloy in, mm-hmm. <laughs> to to research them. So I was like, okay, Eloy, check out this list of names. Can you put this into a spreadsheet? So I'd have him putting names into a spreadsheet. Then I'd incorporate that into the software. Then I'd reach out to these people. So that was music supervisors. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I, I made a friend of a guy, Brian Vickers, who put um, a song in the Kardashians. And mm-hmm. like I was just cold calling these people but then I'd follow up. So when I was in LA, I went and met with Brian and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that kind of sealed the thing. But yeah, I just, it comes across as you had a very, very specific goal in mind to kind of go, look, I create anyway. Mm. That's just the thing that I do. It's kind of mm. like eating or breathing or sleeping. I make music. Mm. Now I need to, now I need to kind of be the most efficient I can be at getting that out there getting other people to listen to it and you're trying to you're using technology you're using networking and i find it creative that's a fascinating thing that i mean i wasn't even aware that there are systems involved where you can employ people to do to be your assistant yeah it's a big business they're not here sat in your room with you they're in chile Sure, and so you go with a time zone that's like out of sync with your own time yeah, zone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when it just you're sleeping, means that when you're, yeah. things are happening. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I like that guy, Eloy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I actually had a picture of him and I was showing my friends, like, they were like, what? So have you ever met him? Never met him, no. Eloy Hernandez. And I had a picture of him on my phone and I'd show my friends, like, look, look, Eloy, this is my, this is my <laughs> this guy. This is my assistant. Yeah. <laughs> my chilly but, assistant. But like, these guys are doing work for other people and do like yeah, yeah. oh yeah. yeah you can see their earnings on the site people are making like tens of thousands or, or more hundreds of thousands yeah wow yes yeah. fascinating uh there's ben brick the artist mm-hmm. there's ben brick the writer yeah. as well which would you personally put first i just try and make things that i love mm-hmm. that's really it like and when i've gone to like i think what i'd say to people listening that aren't sure what they want to do in the industry is like there's a blueprint for the way it works and you don't have to follow that blueprint and for the longest time i was like meeting a and r's and they'd say so the artist project is that like your full time is that what you're going for and it's yeah, like yeah. i mean i'm doing other stuff yeah i think they want you to say yeah 100 percent, man it's it's all i'm doing but <laughs> i'm just kind of honest with it i write songs what came first what was the first thing that you got away because looking at looking at your kind your back catalog looking mm. at your your credits um, your EP was 2016. There was a number of other releases in mm. and around 16, 17 and beyond. Mm. But there were releases that you contributed to yeah. before that. Yeah, I think that the reason that I stopped working with Gary at the time 
was that I wanted more time to write my own music. So that's mm-hmm. probably the answer is that I'm a writer, first and foremost. Um, and the first song uh, was pretty soon after I left him. I worked with a girl called Mary Jess, who was right. signed to Decca, mm-hmm. um, and another songwriter, Emma Rohan. And we wrote a song. It was on her record. It was like a classical crossover thing. She'd won uh, China's X Factor. Okay. But she was English, mm-hmm. which is crazy story and yeah that was used in an advert for Procter and Gamble and that was the first thing that I kind of had the first cut I guess you'd say yeah and I was just because because it got used in the UK and then Japan and then I thought music was easy when that happened I was like what this is <laughs> this you can make literally you wrote a song yeah and then it just suddenly and took they, off and they put the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra on it and they recorded Abbey Road and I was like shit this is that's how easy it is to make money doing this. Not knowing that music is a wave. And sometimes you're at the top and sometimes (laughs) you're like at the bottom with no, no raft. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that one, that one was very nice anyway. And that came at a point where I was in a different studio. That was before the Acton studio. And I was in this studio that was kind of damp. And so when was this? 2000, 14, 13, or were we talking earlier? Maybe, no, maybe 2011, 2010, maybe 2009, you know. But I I had been staying in this studio because, like, I wanted to save on rent. So I was sleeping in this room. And, yeah, it just made me ill. And so this song with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra and everything came at this time, and it was like, oh, no, maybe you can, maybe there's something in this. Mm -hmm. Keep going. How did that come about? How did that relationship come about? How did Decca get in touch with you? I was writing with the writer and and she brought in the artist. Okay, so it was it was a a relationship that you already had with Mm. a co-songwriter. You're you're doing I'm guessing you're doing lots and lots of that. Yeah, at that point I was writing your own relationships with as many people as possible. Touching on that very, very quickly. Is that something that you just do in order to write songs? There is nothing else in it. There's just, I want to find other writers and I want to write songs and then we'll work out what we do with those Mm. songs later. Yeah, I think it goes back to the blueprint Mm -hmm. as well. At the start of your career, you think that you need a manager and you need to write as many songs as possible and they need to be pop. They need to be like Radio 1 pop, which Mm -hmm. is like not everyone wants to do that. So I was doing those kinds of sessions. um, Trying to find... So I had a manager at the time. Right trying to find um and and a great he was a great manager but i think i didn't know what i wanted to be then how did you meet the manager i had a music week directory <laughs> <laughs> that that relationship you had with the manager came from you i just reached actively out to him. searching for yeah, management yeah. and you sending out cds or he files. managed yeah he managed dr luke at the time in the right. uk and i was like well that's and he cool. liked your stuff and went yeah man uh, let's let's do some let's yeah. do something okay yeah. And so at that point, a lot of those writing sessions were being done via the manager. Yeah. That side of things. Yeah, and I was working with a guy, Luke Pickett, great singer, songwriter, guitarist, artist, great artist. Mm-hmm. And we were we were doing we were doing like a session once a week as well, or just write, not really a session, just writing songs and hanging out and yeah. you know, and that's like, I'm still working with him, and he just put out his album a month ago. Mm-hmm. So that's been like a long process to get to that point where it's come out. And I produced 16 tracks on it. Right. And um, wrote like four and then he wrote the others just by himself. And mm-hmm. Yeah, so there were things going on anyway as well, but a lot of sessions. And how's that shifted over time? It's shifted a lot. I basically only work on things I really love now mm-hmm. have you got to that point now where you can be quite yeah because there's a, this illusion that like money is only going to come when you do 100 songs or 300 songs a year but mm-hmm. it's not true you just you can focus more and find your niche and, and do it like that I'm obviously working on my podcast at the moment yes yes poet, but other outside of that yeah I mean I've not written many songs this year okay and you're not worried no I'm excited you're not kind of going oh god I've got a quota to hit or anything like that no I'm excited yeah and everything that you're doing is there's no record labels involved for your artist stuff there's no 
publishers involved. No, so so like an example would be um, rather than writing songs with a bunch of other people, I'll write something myself and try and find a way to get it used, to get mm -hmm. it out there into the world. Try and find a way to monetize it myself. So I did this thing for Derek, the, the box set, the yes. trailer for that. And that was just from making a piece of music and cutting it to one of Ricky Gervais's programs. Mm -hmm. Getting Eloy to research everyone that works on his productions and try and find a way to get it to him. So you had a very, very specific brief in your head that you, yeah, that that you created. Specific, yeah. That wasn't like some, you, you'd received that brief from elsewhere. You'd gone, I want to do this. I'm going to attack yeah. this. Well, like a composer that I knew, Sam Sim, great composer, always have good chats with him about what, like the journey, the path. Yeah. And he had said, make something and choose someone and like laser focus it. And okay. that was kind of, I thought, yeah, that's a, that's a fun idea. <laughs> like it's got to be fun. Yeah, 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 totally. And it paid off. It paid well, off, which yeah, is, yeah. Which is a happy result, I guess. Yeah, and he, he, yeah, it's crazy. And then I met him. So it took a year for him to find the piece of music. I'd reached out to so many people. And then one day I just woke up and there was a tweet about the song from him. But he didn't know me. He just knew the thing. And then mm -hmm. I replied to him and I was like... That's my song. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, I've been just spending just years of my life watching The Office. Mm -hmm. Extras, I think, is just incredible. Yeah. Are you going to take that model forward? For sure. So are you going to... Is this the next thing in your head now going, okay, wh who... What other directors? That's what the other model. writers and people? creators that's the I model want to work with and i'm gonna target yeah and and, and like if people don't you know you can develop you can you can finesse your email to try and make sure that it gets opened mm -hmm. but yeah you can reach out to people and and if they say no that's cool too like if they respond that like the prime thing is getting them to respond and once they respond you have a relationship it took a year mm. from from the moment you wrote the song from the moment you had the idea mm. that this was going to be the focus mm. through to yeah, Ricky yeah. actually listening to it and yeah. tweeting about it what did you do during that time what was the kind of the, the correspondence oh well, people thought on? I was just like what the what is this kid doing in his studio watching Derek on repeat you know because to cut the trailer yeah. I had to watch it so many times yeah people are like dude write some music man what are you doing <laughs> but i had this idea that i could do it and get it to him um but those correspondence you know were the were the first emails that you got back no's no thank no you, they were or, just no replies uh, just no reply so yeah. so what was the next what was the next step the next step i mean like along the way i'd one of his uh producers his line producer judith had her phone number on her website her personal website i was just thinking if you're going to put your number out there you've got to be prepared for people to call it okay that's an interesting way of looking at it and i'm guessing you did so i called it and she was like oh yeah cool send me the thing uh, but like nothing happened from that mm -hmm. but it was the process of doing it again is like important to just keep trying mm -hmm. and actually i think his social media guy found the music right. online and then reached out to me and was like, Ricky loves this music. Would you be happy to send him the MP3? He'd really like to have the MP3. Mm -hmm. So obviously I'm like, no, buy it yourself. You got enough, <laughs> you got enough money, bro? Come That's on. That's amazing. No, no. I'm like, yeah, sure. Of course I send the thing. And then a year passed and I'm thinking, and this is for uh, season one. Mm -hmm. I'm not really thinking I must do another one. I must do one for season two. Never was in my head to do another one. But then I started writing this piece on the piano. And I thought, this could... Wow, like, the idea hit me. Like, this could be... You could do this again. Mm -hmm. So I did it again and sent it out. This time I had a direct relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that one had, like, a million plays in, in a week. Right. 
And like these are crazy numbers because mm-hmm. aside from people buying plays, which is rampant, mm-hmm. which in, in on Spotify everything. Yeah. Like for an artist or a, a creator with no real, with like a small following, you, I wouldn't expect those numbers. Mm-hmm. Like if I put something up and it had like ten thousand views, I'd be happy. So, Have you got any idea about? Was that just because that did you get to that number purely because of? Yeah, him. people who you were contacting. And, he and no, he put the thing just for this one song. He right. put the thing out there. Okay, yeah. so that was from that that one tweet then. Mm. Right. Okay. And now you're actually going to be employed for the next one and and all that sort of stuff. Well, then then now I did. There's, there's a direct conversation. Yeah, now there's a direct conversation, um, and I met him, and that was very surreal because I said, "Hey, I'm Benbrick. I did the music for." It's like. Oh wow! It's so good to meet you. I love this. I love what you did here. And he said, uh, "You should be doing this full time." Yeah, I actually have a studio in London, and I'm. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm writing pop songs, and he goes, "Yeah, I know. I know you're writing pop songs. Like I'd googled you, but you should be doing film music all, all the time. Like this is really good." So that that was like a moment where I was like, "Oh, mm-hmm. that's kind of permission, isn't it, Ricky Gervais?" <laughs> So after that, I think I focus more on classical and. Okay, so there has there has been for you creatively there has been a genuine shift away from writing pop songs or writing songs from an artist's perspective. Just writing as many pop songs. I'm now inter- really really keen and interested in working more in the in the scores and bespoke composition for, for film and TV and media and stuff like that. I think so. May yeah, I think so, but still like doing different bits, mm-hmm. writing with artists, and still had things that songs that I'd written. Mm-hmm. So how did the Sakura Nagashi stuff um, come about? Yeah, I'd met this artist at a party. And we both had like a shared interest in the same types of music. Mm-hmm. We were talking about PJ Harvey and like all these Bjork and left of center things. And we talked about like writing a song. Literally just a chance meeting. Yeah, well, um, the party was someone that plays keyboards in the Rolling Stones. And. <laughs> <laughs> It's getting less and less Sur- it's normal. <laughs> but th- okay, so that's the benefit of being at somewhere like Tarryard. There's mm-hmm. like all these creative people around, and you just form relationships. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he 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 had a party, and his girlfriend was her A and R, and so she was there. Right. And here we did a cover first of all, which was fun. And then yeah, we just started writing a song, but not like. We weren't really trying to write a song. We were mm-hmm. just jamming, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it just came out like the, the piano part just kind of came out, and we worked on it for a year. This one song, which is an incredibly long time, I mm-hmm. think, for a piece of music. You know, most people or most radio songs are done. The core of the thing is done very quickly, mm-hmm. and we had this thing, and she said, "Oh, by the way, this film um, in J- Japan, Evangelion." Mm-hmm want to use this in in the movie for the end credits yeah and so i'm like whoa Go dope for yeah and that like that movie is like already a cult over there mm-hmm. so so but the, and all of this stuff is happening with you as a songwriter without a publisher yeah yeah, yeah. and I'd, I'd been to publishers to play that song but like i don't want to i don't know i just didn't I, i'd played someone it and it's like this would probably be big, like she's quite a big artist. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to be like, yo, she has eight, she sold 60 million records. Like I wanted them to research it themselves. And if they didn't want to do that, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I did, I just. And you did, you're still, I mean, how, how do you manage the publishing side of things for you? Do you have your own little publishing company? That you set so, up that man that you manage yourself. Yeah, or? that that song because it was a movie uh, was a tie-in. So we did it with Sony, who 
published the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, other songs, there's other single song ones, but then most of the time, I just hold on to things. Mm -hmm. So the advert that I mentioned at the start, I held on to the publishing for that. Yep. So my co-writers that had a publisher lost, you know, instantly 30%. Especially if there's other writers with a publisher, they can, they're kind of negotiating anyway, so mm -hmm. you have less work to do. I actually am using Song Trust at the moment okay. in, in America, and I really like their model because it's admin, and you can put single songs through it, mm -hmm. which is very rare, and they don't take anything from sync if, if something is used. Okay. Which is the most flexible publishing arrangement that I've I've heard of. Mm -hmm. Well, that that's a side of the business that is growing exponentially. I'm fascinated with the new forms of these these companies. Yeah. What they're taking, where where can a different company find their their USPs? Yeah. And it is very much uh, that there's there's more and more people now kind of going. I don't need to chase after an advance. And the advances are going down from as a publisher well. and things like that. And I don't want to give away those rights because no. those rights are worth money for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard students and, and, and young songwriters and artists come to me with kind of questions on is this right? Should mm. I be giving away my publishing along with my record stuff? And I'm going, no, don't no, do don't do that. that. Um, so it's, it's interesting that, that you're another person, you're a a songwriter who's really keen on on those sorts of those platforms now yeah i am but i had met publishers along the yeah, way yeah, yeah. and and like yeah i mean but there's this, there's much more flexibility to keep sure your thing. own stuff in house 100%. even if you're not doing you're not it's not like your hits at a, no. at a calculator sorting out all your royalty statements Sometimes. and stuff like that but that's why you you engage with someone for the admin side of things yeah and if you don't want to give them your sync well you've got your own people kind yeah, of yeah. running around the world doing stuff for you you're doing it yourself it's also disheartening trying to chase after publishers you know you shouldn't have to do that you're making music and it's a reflection of you and then you go and present it to someone and they're giving you their opinions on it but you don't really need their opinions sometimes the like music, just the music industry is about the people in it i mm. think if you found if you find if you meet the right person 100%. at the right company then any deal can be can be put together if you met the right A&R person or the right creative and just went, this guy gets me. Definitely. Then your your whole outlook would change and you'll probably sign on the dotted line as soon as the, all the, the contract terms are, are to your liking. But mm, so moment, to find you like, haven't found that yet. Yeah, so to find a person that really gets what you're doing, like I think that's probably quite rare. Mm-hmm. Unless you're killing it and you just you everyone's offering you a lot of money, it can just be painful. After talking about publishing tech and new forms of publishing, I'm still like probably the majority of people. I'm gradually wrapping my head around things like blockchain sure. and and cryptocurrencies and stuff like that. So from the perspective of someone who has utilized it, yeah. what, what is it What to you personally? What are the say... benefits of all this sort of stuff? Why are you so keen on it? Yeah, it's like a, it's like a power shift away from centralized companies that hold everything to individuals owning everything mm -hmm. distributed rights um speeding up payment in terms of music industry what i'm most excited about would be a system where payments are made instantly right transparently on on a blockchain which would require all of the rights societies coming together or it would require someone starting something and getting enough of a catalog that people want to be involved with it and because there's no middleman taking money, everyone else earns more money. So treat me as someone who is very, very novice in all this. How does all this work on a practical level? From your perspective, what is your interaction with these technologies? How are you working with them? Yeah, so the first thing was that um, I was writing on a website called Steemit that was mm -hmm. um, one of the first... Uh, blogging platforms that had a 
blockchain cryptocurrency element and you would earn from the reaction so if you wrote something and people interacted with it then you would earn more money and there was a pool of money that was created by this website every day that uh, would then be distributed to everyone that wrote on the website so where was that pool coming from so originally? so if you imagine like uh, the model is that you see Facebook Google YouTube mm-hmm worth multiple billions but giving nothing back to the people that create the content so the idea of steam it was that it would distribute everything back to the creators okay so the money that they were coming from was from advertising was so from the standard places that websites and stuff like that, that would be generate the their income yeah that would be the hope that um, it would incorporate advertising that would generate or subscriptions money or, or, it would incorporate or subscriptions and it would generate money but actually like this process of cryptocurrencies a lot of them are formed through mining, so creating the coins. Right. Um, so if you think about Bitcoin, it's probably the best place to go back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's 21 million Bitcoins that will ever be made. Mm-hmm. So unlike traditional currency where the government can just print more and you can get into situations like what we've seen in Turkey, hyperinflation, you have a currency that has a maximum limit, so no inflation, once it's all printed. And if I want to send money to you, there's there's groups of miners, people that are validating that I have the money and that it's been sent to you. Mm-hmm. And this is done through cryptography, which is very complex maths. And when they solve these maths problems, they are adding our transaction to the blockchain. And right. then it's there forever. So people, so because there's money in this, people are competing to be the one to say, yeah, Benbrick did send him money. That, that has gone through. So then you get these people competing. Mm-hmm. And then there's mining farms that are like, okay, well, if we get like 100 computers here mining, then maybe we'll get this reward. And then other people are like, well, shit, we'll just turn this whole factory into mining farms. So there's a computational process to validate a transaction Mm -hmm. and this is the first time and this is the first time in history that I've been able to send money without needing a bank to confirm that it's got there there's no needing to trust this central authority Mm -hmm. so the system is trustless and this is a real big thing because you know we see what bankers are doing so how how have you personally benefited from jumping on this form of financing things and 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 generating income and that sort of stuff so where's been the the positive benefit for you i was posting music on this website steam it and it was really my first like introduction to what blockchain was and Mm -hmm. what the potential of this thing was was this your own stuff yeah i was posting my own stuff i actually posted about the ricky gervais thing okay and um at that time this whole market was growing like crazy mm-hmm. and so it did really well and then i just kept on posting there and you know you'd get like 150 dollars straight away for a post or 400 dollars for a post and mm-hmm. people were doing really well from it people still are doing well, really well from it and was that purely because there was no form of right i've done a thing i now have to wait for somebody to come in yeah it was and instant. sort it all out it's just that there is a system in place whereby all these transactions, your your input, and then the finances that are available, it's just forever yeah. just moving yeah. seamlessly back and forth. So this system, yeah, is very quick. Like a transfer takes three seconds. But the, the what I was talking about, the model for the music industry where payments are made instantly, mm-hmm. isn't really this system. This okay. is just purely blogging mm-hmm. and putting up music or videos or content and people reacting to that. Let's kind of divert away from this. I want to, I want to focus more on blockchain because mm. I think blockchain, from, from my perspective, the thing that has frustrated me mm. for years and years and years is watching the whole industry not talk to each other. Mm well enough Mm. that we've got lots and lots of people and especially from a publishing background when you've got songs that have got 
nine different songwriters on them mm. and six different publishers and you're relying on one company to hold that information mm. and then talk to another company that might not necessarily have the same information but something like blockchain is kind of the thing that absolutely for want of a better word sorts that out yeah so you you, you have many different blockchains and, and bitcoin is one blockchain is the first and is the most secure mm -hmm. but then like this year we've seen such a huge number of icos initial coin offerings where companies are basically crowdfunding their projects uh, and giving out tokens um so there's lots of other different um blockchains ethereum is another one right uh, so so you would choose where the music industry which it would want to use it would need to and be that's fast something that hasn't happened yet no it hasn't these happened. are all conceptual ideas and that exist in other forms yeah because it's the, not like one has started no. and everybody needs to jump on that one yet no the and idea it is we need one and one only there's another layer to this that companies are making uh, systems that can talk between different blockchains okay. interoperability so like that that isn't the problem the problem is everyone agreeing to put their data through it I mean it's the same problem PRS have if a song isn't registered okay so actually the problem that the, the music industry this industry the intellectual property industries have got which mm. is data systems talking to one another and having corresponding data won't necessarily just disappear no. with this. This isn't a kind of the all-seeing, all-fixing no, like answer to, to, to the problem of how do you, how does everybody get paid. Yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think it is. Yeah. God damn it. But like, there's people like Benji Rogers um, is doing something interesting where he's trying to get this .bc .blockchain format um, and you know rather than use an mp3 he'd, you'd have a file that embeds the okay. data and you wouldn't be able to export this file from from logic without adding this metadata that's essential okay and i think that the, initially they were targeting the vr industry because it was untapped and new and so mm -hmm. they could control what music was being used there yeah i need to check back in on them <laughs> From a content creator's perspective, what is the one kind of new thing that is bubbling away at the moment that is exciting you the most? Is it things like virtual reality or is there something else? Yeah, virtual there? reality is very, I find that very exciting. There's a project called Decentraland, which is like a decentralized version of Second Life, which I've never played, but... I went on it for a week in... 2003 yeah how was it it was not good not good okay so <laughs> and i didn't have i think you needed about a, you needed a computer with a processor much much better mm, and now we have oculus headsets that, that sort of stuff 200 so pounds the kind of i think the kind of pcs and stuff that we were using even back then mm. they're better in phones now yeah, so i think that sure. <laughs> yeah i'm 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 excited about virtual reality for a number of reasons one of them is charity i think when you okay. show people someone living in extremely poor conditions it has a much bigger impact when you can actually see that person and almost touch them mm -hmm. so i saw like a save the children thing in vr and and this kid like reaching out to you and well like a thing i've been talking with george george the poet about is like in prisons you're in these four walls and what a mental health service would look like that actually can let you escape for a moment as a reward yeah so vr yeah i find very exciting uh, augmented reality i think it's the time people are spending more times in games You mentioned George the Poet. I wanted to finish up this conversation talking a bit about that project that mm. you're working on and the podcast. I found it fascinating. Thank you. Listening to listening to about half of the episodes that mm. um, you've put out, mainly because I saw it as a replacement for putting out singles, putting out albums. It was you know 
we're talking on a podcast these mediums creating content is kind of there's there's no limit to what it what it can do and I, I saw that as a as someone who was passionate about about lots of things including his art mm. and wanting to get that art out in some yeah. way shape or form and that was an episodic podcast you're is very that limited. how it's is that how it was pitched is that how it was thought out it was yeah, a, well, we... I don't want to put this out as an album mm. or as singles in the traditional sense this needs to be something a little bit different yeah we we both kind of veered left of center from the industry you know trying to do something slightly different mm -hmm. i think he felt like he couldn't get that much information into a three minute pop song there's just not the time to yep. delve into you know the next episode is about libya and and what's happening there with selling of slavery basically mm -hmm. um and it's very hard when you have a record label to explain that your song is about that because mm -hmm. people try and people have a hands-off view on 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 a lot of things they don't want to think about a lot of things yeah, yeah, yeah. the record labels mm -hmm. they want a song about being in the club can we uh, can we add a bit about being in the club it's like no so this takes away from the message yeah a little somewhat. bit so this is uncompromised uh -huh. and for me composing on it it's just it's great because there's so much emotion and nuance and depth in what he's saying that i can really dive into the process of creating mm -hmm. i'm really learning how to compose how did, the, how did the project how did you get involved we'd worked together like a few years ago and always kind of kept in touch but mm -hmm. like We'd bump into each other at the studio, maybe like once every year or something. And we'd always like play a couple things. And then he had this idea already and he was already doing it, like putting found footage and news reports and mixing it in with songs that he loved and mixing that in with sound effects. And when we got together and started working on the project, we realized that we're both as OCD and as like have the same attention to detail and realize you can go really far with sound effects. You can really take people out of where they think they are. Mm -hmm. And that it just kind of, it, from day one, we just dived into it really. Mm -hmm. And the way that I see this, this as a project going, it's it, as, as I mentioned earlier, I see it as kind of a, a way of creators putting their art, their content, out it's not oh i've got an album coming out it's definitely this is my this is this is the way that i get my creations out whether it's they're three minutes long or whether they're 20 25 minutes long and there's um, so many ways to monetize now well that's just... what i was going to come on to is that the traditional model is you have percentages on songs and you have songwriting credits and then people buy that well back in the day they did but now they stream it and you know bits and bobs so when it comes to the kind of the back end side of things, mm. this project, you, I think, you know, in, in a perfect world, we would all love to be creating content that we just put out for the love of, mm. for the love of doing it. But where is the, where's the sustainability? Yeah, it, I, I mean, guess? like all of these things are conversations that you need to have with the person that you're working with. There's n there's no rules. Mm -hmm. You can really like, you can make any deal you want person that you're creating with mm -hmm. for this project in particular um sponsorship is obviously yep. uh, okay a thing um we also feel like this can be on tv this can be adapted for vr this can be um episodic tv mm -hmm. netflix there's a lot of opportunities with it george is obviously playing shows performing the podcast as well already so um yeah i think for me it's the same as what i touched on earlier which is just create good shit mm -hmm. and like eventually you'll work out how to monetize it if you go into it thinking like man i've got to earn this amount this month makes it you're approaching it from a different place yeah What is the one thing that you, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to any new up and coming 
creators. So what's the one piece of advice that you would want to give to you back when you were sat in the piano rooms mm. at university when all you were doing was just writing songs and with all the, the stuff that you know now one thing I think uh, keep going find your path and follow that um, there's an amazing Steve Jobs um, he did this commencement speech at Stanford and he talks about like when you get to the end and you look back the path will make total sense mm -hmm. but if you try and look at the path now and where it's going to go it just like there's twists and turns and it never makes sense so just believe in your own thing that you're trying to do and mm -hmm. keep keep pushing forward nice thank, thank you so much for having me yeah thanks for coming down cheers man Massive thank you to Paul for welcoming me into his Talyard Studios. Really interesting conversation and I hope to have him back on to fill in some of the gaps in there and talk a bit more about some of the things that we just didn't get the opportunity to. Uh, his work in charity, uh, some of the more techie stuff as well. We could have talked for, for hours. Uh, so very, very thankful that he gave me the time that he did. Check out his stuff, check out his website, www.benbrick.co.uk. Um, find all of his artist material on Spotify, including his 2016 release, Closer Closure, as well as last year's release, Eclipse. Uh, he's on Twitter via the handle This Is Ben Brick. He's on Instagram under Ben Brick, all one word. And also, I do urge you to check out the podcast that he is working on with George the Poet. So via Instagram, that's at George the Poet. And via SoundCloud, search for George the Poet. It's an amazing podcast. It's a really good listen. Uh, really insightful words from George the Poet and some really great music from Paul. Thank you to everyone who keeps on coming back and listening to the podcasts. Really appreciative. I uh, really appreciate it. Please do get in touch with myself here at the podcast via email, behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at behindthebusinesspod. Hit me up on Twitter at Danny Champion. And yeah, it'd be great to get listener insight, listener feedback, like, subscribe, review on Apple Podcasts, all that stuff all makes a difference. Thank you very much indeed. And that'll do for this week, I think.